Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Unplug with Annie. It's the start of another new series where I'm getting really empowering women on the show and it's a dedication to them actually. I get to hear their stories, I get to share their stories with all of you. And my first guest is Claire Spencer. Claire and I connected on a networking tribe actually called the Alchemy Tribe created by Matt Gottesman. He's also an entrepreneur. He's someone I interviewed for the Elevation series, which was super exciting to have him on. But through him, I was able to really connect with some wonderful people who I also got on on the Elevation show, as well as one of them being Claire. So Claire is a working single mom. She is a co-founder of a company called Water, which is a brand that combines the metaphysical memory of water with the power of intention, which I'm excited to hear a lot more about. I hope you are. So I just want to welcome her to the show. So yeah, firstly, Claire, just thank you so much for doing this. I'm really excited because you're the first one on this particular series. So I'm really excited to have you on. I'm really grateful to be here. I'm so excited to connect with you in this way and have this talk. I'm, thanks for sending me the questions. I'm really excited about them. <laughs> I'm glad. So just to get started, like if you can just give us a brief about what you're doing and this company that you have and, and what it's about. So. I have a water company. It's a bottled water company. And really it's the bottles. That's the company. The water is purified. It's purified and it has some electrolytes added for flavor because actually it turns out that plain water tastes terrible. Mm. Um, and the purpose of the company is um, to reach people who really need a mindfulness practice and who really need to interrupt repetitive, damaging thought patterns, but maybe don't have the resources to take a yoga class, or maybe have a lot of kids and they don't have quiet time to have you know, five minutes, or maybe just don't even believe in the spiritual side of things, it doesn't quite matter, but who would be interested in having a frequent reminder that they have power and that they can choose the way they'd like to be. So our water bottle has several words on the front of it, and I don't have it. I could show you after the notes. Um, it has many words on the front, and the idea is that even if you don't know what you're trying to achieve, you can close your eyes, open them, and the first word that pops out at you is the word that you need to hear so and then we have a spot on the side that says i am so for example i would say like i am loved or i am worthy or mm. i am powerful and as i drink my water throughout the day it's just a reminder to set that intention about what i'm doing yeah that's amazing i mean that's so important because i feel like um to constantly remind yourself it is quite a task and I feel like I, I, like I struggle with that actually. And I have to, and I think the people I follow on social media, I try and follow people who are, you know, very positive and are posting content, which really inspire me because I feel like I'm just exposed to that so much and I need that reminder. So it comes in that form. So how did this idea come to you? I really needed it. Yeah. Um, so there's, it didn't come to me actually. It was a friend of mine who knew about it. 
but I had been searching for something like it. I went through a divorce. I had a small child. I had no job. I had just moved to a city within a year, like almost less than a year, um, where I didn't, you know, I had made friends, but they're all stay at home mom. And I felt completely, I felt very sad, but also very scared. And I was very much in a fear or an anxiety state all the time. And when you're in a fear or anxiety state, um, it's almost as if there's a steel door that's shut itself against the part of your brain that can make decisions. So Mm -hmm. it was like, like it it was all in my um, amygdala, all of my reactions. So I had just a very little bit of willpower and a very little bit of decision-making and I had to make big decisions. So while I was very blessed in that I had resources through my synagogue and um, through business to have, you know, like a career coach and a resume writer, it was all terribly overwhelming. Even just little decisions like what I was going to feed my two-year-old daughter at the time. By the end of the day, that's not true. By the end of the morning, I was exhausted. And I also knew that exercise, meditation, yoga, mindfulness would help me. But I had no willpower left, given all of the other things going on, to get there. And I knew that if I, with all of my resources, I have a great education, I have a loving family, I have money, couldn't access that, what must must it be like with somebody with fewer resources? And the people with fewer resources are the people who most need this type of thing. So during that period, when I realized that a lot of these practices didn't work, yoga, I had to hire a babysitter and it required advanced planning, pay for the yoga class, pay for the babysitter. It was all these things. And I also, you know, five minutes of meditation when you're new to meditation and you've got a toddler crawling all over you, it wasn't accessible to me. So I really started to think, okay, what could I do that would help people? And I thought, okay, maybe, you know, maybe I just have a meme account on Instagram that people follow and it makes them feel good. Um, Maybe I have a blog talking about really low bar exercises that I could do. Meanwhile, I had a really good girlfriend who is very business oriented. She's got several businesses. She asked me if I want to, you know, she's like, do you want to do this business? And I said, no, no, thank you. Do you want to try this one? No, no, thank you. And um, she's a healer and a teacher and a, and a coach. And one day she wrote a word on her water bottle based on the work of Dr. Emoto, who's shown that if you, you can actually energetically change the way that the water molecules organize them, organize themselves, and then absorb it into your body. She did a post and she wrote a beautiful word on her smart water bottle, I think. I came to her house and she looked at me and she said, do you want to do this business? And instantly I had a vision of it on every single chair at like a Tony Robbins conference to set the tone, to get people in alignment. And I also knew that if you're alive, you're drinking water. I think the Mm -hmm. only other thing you really need is air. Mm -hmm. But my grandmother very graciously decided to pass on her own terms and in the end, the very final thing that she gave up to move on to the next life is water. Um, so for me, it was so clear that it was an opportunity to reach people who can benefit from mindfulness that don't have access to a lot of these 
really wonderful things, but want things that are quite privileged, to, to be honest. You need money to do yoga. You need time for meditation, especially if it's not part of your culture. Oftentimes, mm -hmm. people will roll their eyes at you, or you'll be faced with um, opposition from family members or your intimate friends, whereas I feel like this is a practice that not only has metaphysical benefits or, and meaning and also pattern disruption, but that's um, very accessible. It's easy to understand. It's easy to do. And as a business owner, I feel that it's good for my business, even if people don't buy my water bottles, mm -hmm. because it's spreading this practice. And if we are all doing better, then we are all doing better. So I don't quite care if you take a Sharpie and write it on your Kirkland's or your, we have Kirkland, which is like a wholesale club. If you write it on your wholesale club water bottle, um, if the practice helps you, we all benefit. That, that's amazing. I love what you're doing. I think um, when there's a really strong purpose to going after a business and, and creating a brand, if you like, I think that's, that's really amazing. And I'm talking to some other people who, who have been talking about purpose and its importance. So I'm glad to see that um, the brand has such a big purpose and it's amazing what you're doing. And, and do you feel, I mean, particularly because this series is with women and I'm talking to a lot of women and I feel that women in particular, like we, we tend to struggle and deal with a lot of feelings of not being good enough and um, being reliant on other people to tell us and, you know, reassure us that we are good enough. Why do you feel in your opinion that this is the case? And, and why do you think it's something that we really struggle with and how can we sort of move away from that? This is very interesting to me and I'll have more to say maybe in a week or two. Okay. Because, so something that's come up quite a bit is um, our role in the household as it relates to money in our cultural role. And what I have seen quite often is um, Less so, but I think that it takes a while. It takes several generations for things to change. When you have a generation of women who are dependent on the man of the house to make the money, even if they're good at finances, there is a degree of, unless you're with a very conscious man, there is a degree of feeling as though you are subservient to them because they bring food to the table. Mm -hmm. Therefore, in many subtle ways, we are, I don't want to say groomed, but for as long as a man is the sole source of income for a family, then you will be dependent. And it's a bit of giving up your freedom unless you've got a really good relationship. So, you know, in a tribal culture, men, women gathered, men hunted. If you want to be like very, very, put like, what's the word? Blatant stereotypes. Mm -hmm. But they both contributed and had very important contributions towards the health and food of the family. So there wasn't a strange power dynamic. You can also have this power dynamic if you marry somebody who's wealthier than you whether you're a man or a woman. 
And I think that culturally we as women, because we were not the earners or our mothers were not the earners or our mothers' mothers were not the earners, it comes into a spot where we don't have the same confidence as men do around money and feeling as though we deserve it. Not because we don't, but just because that is a new role for us. And so we have to remind ourselves that we deserve to be there and that the money we make is our money. And I actually feel as though many women I know outperform their spouses in order to feel as though they are their equal. It's mm -hmm. almost like um, oftentimes in the United States, at least, we'll, we'll say that the burden of being a person of color is that you have to work twice as hard and if you're a minority you have to work twice as hard and if you're gay you have to work twice as hard to sort of have that same level of influence um again a broad generalization but i don't think it's untrue so what i have personally found is whenever you step into a new place of power is when you feel the most vulnerable and doubt yourself the most so women in general are stepping into this incredible role where they are just as powerful in this financial sense of men, but because it's new, we're scared. Mm -hmm. It's a very long answer for that one sentence, actual <laughs> answer. But um, I think that's really what it is. I think it's yeah. new for us culturally. Yeah. So we feel afraid. Yeah. Kevin from the tribe said the same thing. He's, I asked him when he most, he says he's most likely to feel imposter syndrome right as he levels up. Mm -hmm. mm. so now he knows that if he feels scared or as though he's not worthy or not able to it's because he's stretching himself to step into something that he absolutely can do but it is in that stretch moment and i at least for me i think that's what it is because obviously we're capable obviously we're talented obviously women are smart yeah it's a it's a it's a new place for us so it's not familiar and it's uncomfortable and those are the times when we most want reassurance no matter what it is yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, I definitely have to agree with that. And obviously, it's obviously changing, also just change that we, that we all go through, of course, transition and change, it's always uncomfortable, and it's difficult. Um, how do you think if one does want to, they always say that, uh, or at least it's a famous saying that, you know, if, if you've tried something so many times, and it's failed, you need to like change something up. But that whole changing is, we're fearful of that change and it can be uncomfortable. But what, what steps would you advise in terms of trying to, if you're trying to change for the better and, and be more in alignment with your goals and your dreams and, you know, things that you're trying to do. Um, and, and that does require change along the way. But how do, we, how do we make that change possible? If you could break it down in steps, like how do you think, um, that we can make that change become possible, if you like. So I'm going to quote Gary V. Yeah. I have my personal version of this is do less. And Gary V put it very well when he said, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Mm. So oftentimes when we want to change, we load on so much that we fail and something's off. Um, it's almost like if you put 20 spices in a stew and it tastes bad, you have no idea which one ruined it. Maybe it's five, maybe it's one, maybe all of them are bad except for it. But if you're doing too much at one time, 
you can't pay attention to the things that are being really successful because you don't know. Um, mm. And it also ends up putting you in a state where you're less able to listen to your own, your sort of your own inner self and your inner knowing. So I always tell people you should start really small and mm. build on those successes. Um, for example, I have a friend, this is going to be just as an example of how small to start. Mm. I have a friend who feels very disempowered in her work life. And so she wants to do career coach and she wants to do, um, you know, further education. And she's got billions of ideas, which in themselves are more overwhelming. So my advice to her is going to sound silly, but it's very effective. And it's what I did when I felt disempowered after my divorce. It was to find something in her house, like a candle or a picture or a plant. And every single day, move it to a different spot. And remember that she's powerful. If you're powerful enough to move a thing in your house, you are power enough to like create small changes. And those small changes can actually change the way you feel. So we have a lot of opportunities to remember our true self and our true power that we would disregard as not meaningful enough, mm -hmm. but really truly, truly knowing that we have control over our life and control over something as silly as a plant is the foundation for understanding that you are powerful enough to create great change. Yeah. So you have to, I would say like, go really small and get really good at it. Yeah. And then add to that. Yeah, that's, that's so true. I think I, I think I'll be doing that. Actually, that's a really great idea. I think sometimes you're just, yeah, you're just overwhelmed with all the information. And particularly now there's just information everywhere. And um, yeah, it can just get really overwhelming. Um, going a bit behind again to when we were talking about relationships and um, being defined by our male counterparts often and leaning on them for reassurance and all of that. In the workplace then, in your experience as a businesswoman, as someone who has her own brand now, have you experienced any situations where you have felt... Oh, it froze. Oh. Is it back? Yeah, it's back. Okay. She has her own brand now and then... Um, yeah, so as a woman who has your own brand, um, when you've gone out into the workplace or you've been networking with, um, with, fellow, with male colleagues as well in the workplace, do you feel the same level of respect that you think, um, that you think occurs when it is men sort of engaging with men as opposed to men engaging with women in the workplace? Because it's a big conversation, obviously, after Me Too and Time's Up and all these movements which are happening and now very, um, yeah, now, now very talked about uh, compared to before, but do you feel there's like a real change happening or do you still feel that men are unable to take women seriously in the workplace? I, I, I want to answer this, but I, I want to say with, with incredible gratitude and deep respect for mm -hmm. the Me Too movement mm -hmm. um, and for calling that out. Um, what I notice in my business is in the beginning, I actually found a male mentor and worked with him. And he's very lovely, but his approach, and this is with my business partner, I'm not a solopreneur. His approach is a very male approach. His strategy is very traditional, like what you think of as a masculine strategy. And after about six months, we, we couldn't work together anymore. 
um, because our approach is a more feminine approach, which is not traditional in business. And I think of it because I have another woman friend who's opening an incredible healing center in Des Moines. <clears throat> and she and I have very similar business style approaches. And the reason that I'm bringing this up is because I think that we think that men have power and control money. And while that's not untrue, we have a lot more power than we think if we stop asking permission and start showing another way to do business as women and another way to show up. Um, I think that there's a lot of space in the business world for a more feminine business model. And by that, I mean a business, I don't mean this in a derogatory way towards men, mm -hmm. but I, I find that a masculine approach is competitive, it's driven, it's linear. What I have found from the women that I've worked with that are entrepreneurs, it's instead of competition, it's abundance, where if I'm successful, you're successful, I share my success with you, and there's, therefore, there is more money for everybody and more everything for every person instead of there being lack of scarcity. It mm -hmm. is directed instead of saying like, this is a goal. These are the 10 steps. This is the only way to achieve that one goal is to hike the mountain this way. I have found, and it's echoed in the work of Joe Dispenza, women are more able to say, I have a vision and I'm going to stay clear on that vision. I know what it feels like. I know what it looks like. I don't know how to get there exactly. Mm. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to listen and follow the path that appears before for me. And I don't have to have it all planned out. I can do this with my intuition, with my relationships with other people, and with my own sense of self. Um, and I think what we will find is that that is an equally valid business model. And it's probably to be, I think we're going to see a shift of businesses. There's definitely room for a balance of masculine and feminine, but I see a lot of businesses are incorporating that much more mm -hmm. so that people who work in the business come from, are working with joy, with passion, with intention. It's sustainable. Human beings are not computers or machines. We don't have a linear output throughout the day. We don't have a linear output throughout the week of creativity. Um, having a more flowing approach has allowed a lot of entrepreneurs, both women and men that I know, a tremendous amount of freedom and also success because they can really capture the moments when they have that energy. So this is all to say, if we believe that men hold the power and ask for their approval and are disregard ourselves, then yes, men will disregard women in business. If we say, I love you so much. I know that your business advice is coming from a masculine spot, but I believe that if you say no, then you're not in alignment with this and that there is plenty of money and there are plenty of mentors and there are plenty of resources available to me that are not this way, then it doesn't matter. Mm. And yeah. stop obsessively chasing the approval of somebody who doesn't believe 
believe or see the world the way that you do. Find people that see and believe it the way that you do, and then it stops being an issue. Yeah, yeah, true. And when, when starting out your business, did you, was there any particular point where you felt extremely challenged and for, for people who are looking to turn their passion into a business right now and, and looking to make that transition um, as people with maybe not so much knowledge about how to start a business, how to run a business, is there any particular time where you went through a state of adversity in the business and how did you get out of it? And uh, I guess in some way that would obviously be great advice to people who are who are entering business for the first time. Sure. Um, I would like to say that I've failed a lot at businesses. Mm -hmm. I've really, I mean, I've, I've worked for other people's passions and they failed. I've tried my own thing and I didn't have the quite the right motivation. So I failed a lot. And um, all of those failures have informed this business, which still isn't making money. Mm -hmm. um, in the role of the business, I think there are two failures that really stand out as in the past year. One was that we were invited partners. We were so excited because they were established and they had a name that we didn't ask important questions from the beginning. And when that deal fell apart, we were two months in, we had spent a lot of money to try and make it work. And there was a lot of shame, feeling stupid for, um, not asking the most important question, which was like, how is the financial part of this uh, partnership going to work? Um, what got me through that is whether I believed it or not fully at the time to repeat to myself, this was the lesson that I needed and it's not that much money. And I'm so grateful that we learned it now before the business grows. It's much better to fall down when you're two than when you're 25 because you're much closer to the ground when you're two years old. Mm -hmm. So I had to sort of pop that shame bottle to get good information, but also it really tested not my faith in the business, but my faith in myself in the universe and to realize that I can make a mistake, but that doesn't mean that I, like I am a mistake. And also this is just information. It doesn't have to be bad or good. It's information. Mm -hmm. um, and then and the second one was, again, brilliant, wonderful man, but very masculine. So we came out just pushing, 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 trying to get into grocery stores, um, reaching out to, you know, using our connections as much as we could. But that's before we were even in stores. So it was too ambitious. It was too driven. I tired myself out. My business partner was very, I wouldn't say upset, but she felt something was really off. And that set us back quite a bit also. And that, again, was that seeking that male approval and thinking that because men do business, men are the only ones who know how to do business. Um, and that's a bit where my last lecture, my last long response came from. And I think that when we stopped working with this person, um, taking a deep breath and asking myself, why did this happen? Where did I go wrong? What was I seeking from this relationship that I wasn't giving to myself? because I did feel like I couldn't be successful unless I hired this person, that they were the key and I was too scared to do it myself. So a big question I think for any entrepreneur, especially in partnership is, um, is this person giving you usefulness and are they, are they growing their business or are they giving you validation? Mm. 
Yeah, very true. That's a great question to ask. Yeah. And, and how do you, in the whole process of everything in your, in your everyday life, um, how do you keep yourself mindful of, of staying in a, in a state of gratitude? Because that, that, that's the first thing a lot, of, a lot of people say, a lot of motivational speakers even talk about. But the actual doing of it can prove difficult. Like you said, you know, this idea of reminding yourself you're worthy and, and <clears throat> the fact that you're, you're putting this on water bottles. And it is this constant reminder because we drink water all the time. I think it's amazing. But how do we also stay in this state of gratitude? How do we sustain that? I think that's so individual. Um, my own personal practice of what you, I think you would call meditation, that's been incredibly helpful for me that I find accessible, <clears throat> is that what I do is I set aside a time to practice the feeling that I want to feel. Mm -hmm. So it's not like an emptiness and it's not, I don't have a, I was given a really wonderful exercise with 10 future things to be grateful for. So you imagine your future expanding in a certain way and you act as if you're grateful. What I do or what I've done is music helps, but with or without music, I lie down and I try to feel the emotion that I want to feel. So for me, that emotion of gratitude is an emotion of awe and wonder and complete sort of like weeping joy at how beautiful my life is. And I will lie and I will, with or without music, remember all the moments in my life, as many as I possibly can in as much time as I have, whether a minute or five minutes, I will remember them and I will try to flood my body and my brain with that emotion. Mm -hmm. So in that way, I am able to access it more quickly throughout the day because I remember it because I was just there. It's almost like I want my brain to produce those chemicals that make yeah. me feel that way. So I am giving my brain this exercise where I'm like, all right, make that dopamine. Let's see how fast we can get there. Let's see how much we can do. Let's really, really get there. And I find that music and memories are the most effective way for me to really have that deeply emotional experience. So I have found that it's easier for me to remember to be grateful if I have access to my brain being able to create that um, chemical emotional response. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And just to, just to end the, to, to wind down, I just have three like really sort of fun questions just about you. Um, so is this an exercise that you do every day? Because one of the questions was how do you practice or, or what is something that like a favorite activity you do every day to get in a state of sort of peace whether it's like going for a walk or whether it is meditation what would that everything every everyday thing be that you wouldn't do without um oddly enough so i am part of a mastermind that has been really also important to my transformation mm -hmm. i have found a, a community so matt's alchemy tribe is is like this also in this particular case this group posts one post that's thoughtful every day on instagram and it's really helped me the most is to connect to that every day and connect with those people who are doing the same work because when i read the post i'm reminded myself but i'm also more often really reminded to stay in gratitude and to practice mindfulness by 
offering connection and advice to other people. So it's that human connection on a day, like making time every single day to reach out to another human being, whether it's through Instagram, whether it's a phone call, whether it's talking about these things, that anchors it more than any practice I do by myself. Okay. And if there's one thing you could tell your younger self, what would it be? I mean, there's nothing I could say because I'm very strong-willed and stubborn. I'm so grateful for where I am. And younger me would roll her eyes and not listen. So I would just, <laughs> I would let her do her thing. We're all right. Yeah. And last but not least, um, tell us something that you love about yourself. I think that this has come up recently. I mean, I'm very silly. I'm very exuberant. I've got a lot of energy. But there's a part of me that I always felt like I had to tone down. And that's this serious side, which is, you know, meditative, but also a bit piercing if you're on the receiving end. And um, I really have started recently to love that part of me and to realize that this quiet, thoughtful, it's not unemotional, but it doesn't appear emotional outside space in a way of being um, is where my joy is. It is where my creativity is. So some people may become creative from all of these, you know, from external things or from, I don't know, from just a different way of being. My way of being in this serious way is really lovely for me. And I'm so grateful that that's how I am. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for having this chat. It was uh, really insightful. I really hope the audience connects. I do too. I really love your questions. They're really brilliant. And I'm so excited that we got to connect. And I hope you have a great night's sleep as <laughs> I go off to do my whole entire day. <laughs> Thanks, Claire. Thanks a lot. You bet. Take care. That was the end of another episode on Unplug with Annie. I'm continuing the series of Fierce next week where I'm talking to another amazing woman and I can't wait for you guys to hear the whole series, so do stay tuned. For everything Unplug related, do follow the IG and Facebook page at the rate Unplug with Annie. You can also go to the website www.unplugwithannie.com and subscribe to the newsletter so you're constantly updated with what's going on on the blog as well as the podcast. Until next week.